You can't replace part of the brain. Like, you treat them the same. The source of truth for the medtech industry. Coexists with the province. Robot understands things automatically. Number one show in the medtech industry. So Stryker got ahead of that and changed in the 90s, built a billion dollar company that helped apply a lot of things. State of medtech with your host, Omar M. Khatib. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Another exciting startup to uh, share with you guys today, and that is Sienza Bio. Um, and uh, the founder and CEO is Derek Banyard, uh, who's a physician who I met at the AdMed conference. We had a great conversation. And uh, it's a very interesting company because, you know, I think this idea of uh, regenerative medicine has uh, taken a lot of traction uh, in the last few years. And more specifically, you know, we hear a lot about stem cells, right? Um, what you probably don't know is that uh, fat is actually the largest source of regenerative cells in your body right? Which is very surprising to hear. And so how does Cienza, um, you know, what's their, what's their unique value prop here? Well, so Cienza is a leading clinical stage biotech company um, that's really focused on improving patient life fat, or they like to call the power of fat, which again, largest source of regenerative cells in the body for limitless aesthetic and regenerative medicine applications. Uh, Dr. Banyard's focus first is essentially using what this is what's called liquid gold, right? These fat cells first in the aesthetic uh, um, area, but you'll see in the interview that one other area that a lot of this is also starting to be used in is an orthopedic. So I think that uh, their main beachhead, uh, if you want to talk about it from an investment standpoint, is aesthetic medicine. But then after that, their company is able to expand in, into a variety of different areas. Um, they are a doctor-driven uh, team. You know, have a great, great clinical uh, team behind them. That essentially is going to, you know, unite uh, cutting-edge uh, scientific innovation with a lot of commercial expertise. Um, so now let me tell you a little bit more about Dr. Banyard. So uh, Dr. Banyard is a surgeon and an internationally acclaimed adipose cell stem cell researcher. And this is what I love. You know, I love uh, founder-led companies where the founder has deep clinical expertise, even uh, research-based expertise in a certain area. He left plastic surgery residency. So that's the other thing that's really impressive is that Dr. Banyer was in plastic surgery residency, decided to leave um, about halfway through to found Cienza Biosenses and has been recognized with several grants and awards. Uh, he's the former chief scientist at the Center for Tissue Engineering at UC Irvine, where his early research earned him a coveted regenerative medicine training grant from the California Institute for Regenerative Medicine, as well as the National Endowment for Plastic Surgery grant from the Plastic Surgery Foundation. He has also co-authored over 100 abstracts, posters, and publications. Now, one thing I do want to mention is that the purpose of these episodes is that I want to give early stage companies and founders their opportunity to reach more people because at this stage, they don't have millions of dollars worth of funding that they can afford PR and marketing. So this is one, one way that I'm able to try and give back to the startup ecosystem. I mentioned because if you're a startup founder, even if you're pre-series A, you're early stage and everything, and you have a great story and product, please reach out to me uh, via LinkedIn or, or through email pitch me your story. Um, we get a lot of these. And so I'm doing my best this is why we, why we claim that we're the number one show we publish three times a week. And part of that is to get through as many founders as possible, create clips for you and really uh, help promote you. And for those who are investors, if you're interested uh, to learn more about Derek uh, and their, and his company, you can uh, look up, you can go to his company website, which is Sienza.com. S-A-Y-E-N-Z-A.com or just look Derek up on 
uh, LinkedIn. So with that being said, before we jump into our episode, I want to give a quick shout out to one of our uh, partners, which is Alpha Sophia. You know, when it comes to finding early adopters, uh, data is really your best friend. The problem with a lot of databases these days, especially for early stage companies, is that they do cost a lot of money and sometimes they're a little difficult to use. Some of those uh, databases that provide uh, commercial intelligence for physician procedures, prescriber behaviors, they are fantastic and I'm a fan of them. The problem is that they're just cost prohibitive for early stage founders. That's where Alpha Sophia can be a great partner for you. They have fantastic data on uh, procedure volume, prescription behaviors. They even tie in, um, which has been helpful for me, uh, for some of the clients that I help, which is to uh, uh, also tie in a physician's LinkedIn and Twitter accounts and Doximity accounts. That way you can find people who are active online. Uh, If you're interested to learn more about Alpha Sophia, go to alphasophia.com forward slash Omar and you get three free searches and reports through them along with a demo. And if you decide you want to use them, um, they have great price transparency. Whether you're a big company or an early stage startup, they only cost $300 a month. And that's a price that everybody can afford while you're trying to get traction early on. So go to alphasophia.com forward slash Omar to learn more. And now let's get onto our episode with Dr. Derek Banyard of Sienza. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. And I'm joined by another great founder. One of the one of my favorite things about the show is finding great founders and companies at, at an early stage, having them on the show to kind of talk about their products. And today we have Dr. Derek Banyer, who's joining us, who's the CEO and founder of Sienza Biosciences. And the tagline for them is that they're essentially automating the process of fat tissue to create injectable stem cells for essentially regenerative medicine, which is a fascinating area. For me, I think it's really exciting because, you know, one thing that's kind of brought a new wave of investors into the med tech space is are the ones who are into like regenerative medicine, longevity, et cetera. And so it's a really interesting topic. Not a lot of people cover it. And so Dr. Banyer, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Perfect. Now, uh, you know, you and I met at like AdMed and the, the thing that kind of stood out to me is that you're, you're still, you're a practicing physician right now. You're a family man. You have, you have, you know, a wife and kid. Um, and then you're a founder, which is just really impressive. And I think some of the uh, great founders in our industry were very much like you were. They were practicing clinicians and then decided to like go full on entrepreneur. So before we kind of talk about the company and the market, why don't you give us a little bit of background on on you? Like, you're, you know, where'd you grow up? Where'd you get your, uh, where'd you go to medical school and your training? And we'll kind of get to the company in a moment. Sure. Uh, so I currently live in Orange County, California. Um, I'm originally from... Virginia Beach, Virginia. Uh, I went to the University of Virginia for undergrad. Uh, after undergrad, I went to Meharry Medical College in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, while I was at Meharry, I was the first student to do a joint uh, MD-MBA program with uh, Vanderbilt University. So in five years, I got my MD and my MBA. Uh, after that stretch, I went to Maryland to do a research fellowship in cell biology and immunology in their uh, ENT surgery department. So spent a few years there, uh, then ended up in general surgery. Uh, first year was, uh, in, uh, West Virginia. My second year was in Loma Linda, California, which is what brought me to Cali. That's amazing. And actually, uh, like, so general surgery residency is no, no, my dad's a general surgeon. That's a, that's a tough, tough, uh, residency to go through, but, uh, really interestingly enough, like I think isn't Loma Linda, one of the blue zones, uh, where people like live the longest in the world. So that's kind of funny that you're, you, you're, you're, you founded a regenerative medicine company and like you're, you know, you trained in Loma Linda. Um, well, an interesting thing about that is, you know, it's not only is it the blue zone, it's, um, 
uh, it's a very heavy Seventh Day Adventist and a Seventh Day Adventist. Yeah, that's day. right. So when you're working, you know, twenty hour shifts and in the ICU, it's really hard to find coffee. So it makes it for an interesting. Uh, oh my, coffee. that's right. That's right. You don't drink <laughs> coffee. Yeah, that's tough, man. So, um, you know, you're finishing residency. When when did you finish residency? Well, so my story is kind of long and winding. Uh, at, after that second year of general surgery, I, I decided I wanted to pursue plastic surgery. Um, and I needed a little bit more ammo on my CV to get there. So I applied for a couple of research fellowships uh, and was offered one at UCLA that was paid and one that was unpaid at UC Irvine. But I saw the opportunity at UC Irvine, so I went for the unpaid fellowship. Um, and for a year and a half, I was doing research in their Center for Tissue Engineering Lab uh, without any income. Uh, and wow. did that for several years, got some grants, and... Uh, you know, long story short, I ended up getting a master's in biomedical and translational sciences, uh, did a thesis, um, got some grant money, did a bunch of work, and then I matched into plastic surgery at UC Irvine. Nice. Nice. So at what point did you decide, like, you want to you wanna start a company? Like, how, how did this all come about? Well, it was, it was always in the back of my mind. Uh, my dad is an entrepreneur. Um, and obviously, you know, I had the foresight to get my MBA while I was in medical school because they don't teach us business uh in medical school at all definitely not <laughs> um, i can confirm that <laughs> yeah uh but you know secondarily i've always done research it, it's always been of interest to me but it wasn't until i got to uc irvine and started working under dr alan widgerow who runs the center for tissue engineering lab i mean he's just an innovative thinker uh he brought a business approach to doing research and so we were just starting this lab up together, essentially. I mean, he was there about a year before me. He came with a premise that, you know, we start projects, multiple projects. And if there's no returns after 18 months, we go on to the next project. But he treated it like a business enterprise. And the idea was to innovate and develop intellectual property. And obviously, the next thing is to go from, from, from benchtop to bedside, right? Um, I've been in several research labs where you do iterative research that goes nowhere for 10 years. Uh, and I was very intrigued by the idea of really developing solutions that could be scalable and have exponential impact. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's good to, it's, you know, I think uh, as a physician and even as an entrepreneur, like you were really influenced a lot by our mentors. And so it's great that you actually worked out of a lab like that. So after getting that kind of experience, you know, how did that translate into you deciding to start like your own company? Because it's it's a big undertaking, you know, let alone... Um, even if you have an MBA uh, as a physician, like, you know, th there's a lot that goes into it. And it's, you know, it's it's very difficult. You know, it's not not easy at all. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, like this, this was a COVID startup, if you will. Um, I was, you know, finishing up my second year of residency and working 100 hour weeks. I had a six month old and an 18 month old. Uh, my, my wife is a full time physician. And I never got to see my family. And then it was a kind of a snowball effect of like COVID just completely flipping healthcare on its head. And I've always tried to live life where I've got, you know, the ability to pivot. So, you know, I developed this intellectual property starting, you know, I started doing this research in 2013, um, but, you know, really was developing this intellectual property at the Center for Tissue Engineering Lab before I joined residency and always had it as a potential fallback or pivot uh, in the event that the clinical duties of plastic surgery wasn't going to be a long-term goal. And so it was a perfect storm of 
uh, the stress and hours of being a healthcare provider in the middle and the peak of COVID um, and not seeing my family versus the opportunity to really pursue something that uh, could offer, uh, you know, exponential clinical benefit beyond direct person to person um, uh, care that you can provide, but also the opportunity to like spend more time with my family. Got it. Yeah, no, I completely appreciate it. You know, I think this is the big thing uh, these days. I don't know if it was COVID or something, but, you know, you start to really think about your quality of life. And I'm, I'm all about, like, working hard. But, you know, let's face it, like, our kids, um, you know, they're only they're only little kids once, right? You know? And so I think uh, I think it's really commendable that you decided to do that. But, you know, going going on the entrepreneurship route is definitely not not easy. So how did you go from essentially the, the concept, like, within a lab to – you know, now you guys are, you know, where, where are you guys at in terms of your uh, regulatory pathway and the commercial pathway? Sure. So we received a grant from the Plastic Surgery Foundation and an additional grant from the NIH to essentially commercialize uh, technology that would automate the processing of fat for essentially regenerative medicine therapeutics, stem cell therapeutics. Um, and so Myself and my two co-founders, one I've already mentioned, Alan Widrow, he's the head of tissue engineer, uh, the Center for Tissue Engineering at UC Irvine. He's a retired plastic surgeon and just an innovator uh, across the board when it comes to translational science. My other co-founder is Jared Hahn. He is professor of biomedical engineering at UC Irvine. He's an expert in microfluidics um, and tissue dissociation. And he is an expert in developing lab on a, labs on a chip. So he's got several ideas and concepts that allow for the dissociation of tissue uh, into single cells. And we decided to lean on his expertise to create labs on a chip for the dissociation of fat. And so together, the three of us, we developed a series of chips that could be connected in, um, in series with and powered by peristaltic pumps. Early on, it was syringe pumps. But to date, we've got a full working prototype that is a series of labs on chip that are powered by peristaltic pumps. Um, and we're, you know, producing tremendous results. We just published our second publication in Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery, which is the largest journal for plastic surgery this past January, demonstrating the um, value of our, our platform in terms of cell viability, cell count, uh, and the enrichment of specific uh, regenerative cell populations, stem cell populations that contribute to wound healing and tissue regeneration. Um, earlier this year, we raised some money and we began the engineering process of building our MVP. And so that's a three phase, uh, MVP build. We went, we've gotten through the first phase. So we've designed the platform and now we're raising money to build it. Fantastic. So we can kind of like walk through the science. So like your, your, your target, your beachhead is plastic surgeons. They, they're the ones like the number, their number one procedure that every single one of them do is liposuction. And so. Essentially, the you know the pr the the product or I guess the variable that you need for your for your platform is harvested by these people all the time. So if you're a light for your 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 plastic surgeon, you let's say you do some liposuction, you harvest some fat. What's the process like? How does it essentially move through your platform? And what what is what is it that about your platform in Sanza that's unique and different compared to anything else that might be out there? Right. So that's the key differentiator of our platform. It's a completely hands off system. Our uh, a plastic surgeon's current setup or workflow will fit seamlessly uh, in line with, with our platform. So they can use their current liposuction machine and hook it directly into our platform. 
Our platform will begin processing fat as soon as 100 cc's of fat hits the canister, and it will con it will continuously process the fat in an automated fashion. So completely hands off, unlike any other platform out there. Secondarily, well, there's multiple. Uh, Are there uh, other platforms where they they need to be more hands on? You yeah. Know. So right now, the market leader is Revolve, which is an Abby Allergan product. Um, okay. You have to, it's limited in the volume that can be processed, about 250 to 300 cc's of fat. Once okay. the fat goes into the system, they call it closed loop because the fat goes into the into this this canister. But once the fat is in the canister, then you got to literally turn it with a hand crank, add saline, turn it with a hand crank, and then extract the fat. And you have to do that multiple times over depending on how much fat you want. So if you want a liter of fat, you got to go through that process three times. And that could take up to an hour just there. Uh, one of the newer competitors on this in the space is Viality by Sientra. Now, they one of their advantages is you can process almost up to a liter, but it still requires uh, the surgeon to open the top of the platform and pour in a essentially a, a, a chemical, if you will, and stir the fat so that it does this reaction. Um, so again, a lot of user input, and this one's not a closed system. The majority of surgeons don't do their own they, processing. They'll have like, you know, they'll have like a nurse. Real quick, or, real quick just to inter interrupt the, I want to point out, especially for the investors who are listening, that the importance about it being a closed system is that once it becomes an open system, you, ha you, you introduce the risk of infection and, and con contamination, contamination, essentially. Right. Yeah. 100%. Or contamination that can lead to infection, or exactly. you know, or 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 uh, uh, you you can um, damage damage the quality of the of the of the cells. So sorry. You, so you were saying, yeah, I was going to say, I was like, the surgeon's not going to be doing this. They're going to have like a PA, a nurse, like somebody assisting who's going to be doing this, right? Yeah, I mean, so, so some surgeons are meticulous; they want to do everything. But I'd probably say, you know, two thirds of surgeons don't do the don't do the processing. They'll they'll have their assistant do the processing while they're doing other things, but. If you think about it, it's much more difficult these days to retain uh, OR staff, nurses, PAs, et cetera. And so if you can decrease the amount of manpower needed in the OR, you've already decreased your overhead. Um, the additional benefits of our system is that it's all it's large volume. It can process up to a liter at a time. And an additional benefit is that it's equipped with a fat reinjector. And so for instance, liposuction is the number one procedure performed by plastic surgeons, and one of the key drivers of that adoption is the demand for the Brazilian butt lift. Surgeons I talk to, they're injecting anywhere from 400 cc's to a liter of cc's per buttock, and the average surgeon is using a 60 cc syringe to do that. So you can imagine the back and forth of loading fat into syringes to inject a, a liter of fat. It's very time-consuming um, and labor-intensive, and so our fat will allow for the automated uh, delivery of the fat back into the desired uh, body location uh, with the control of a foot pedal and a pressure sensor. So, so I just want to, so uh, essentially old way or current competitors is that it's either an open closed loop system. Um, but even with the closed system, like there's, there's manual work that needs to be done. It's very cumbersome just to get like, even like close to a leader. Would, would you guys have essentially it works into their current life? So essentially, if somebody's performing liposuction, the fat goes into your platform, it's processed in some specific way, and then they're able to just turn around and automatically, uh, I guess it's an auto, in an automated fashion, put it back in, which essentially you're, you're decreasing a lot of uh, a lot of time in the OR, like loading those syringes, because I've seen some of these procedures done. So that's just, you're essentially just this is this is a. Um, you're a biotech company that's that's essentially solving a workflow issue. It sounds like. 
we're solving a workflow issue, but we're also producing the highest quality fat wrapped on the market. How so, do you do that? Like, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to make you uh, share like trade secrets, but like what, like, yeah, how, how, yeah, how are you able to do that? Yeah. So one way that we do it, um, you know, our cartridge, our disposable cartridge has different components. And one is our preparation device, which is a proprietary lab on chip that uh, coupled with, uh, you know, washing and flow algorithms, washing hmm. fat in a hands-off way that is faster than anything on the market. Most surgeons will do like gravity uh. separation or they'll use like a kitchen strainer or something like that. So that's the right. Thing. It sounds like this is, you've taken like, um, cause like if you look at how immunology labs are running everything like with flow cytometry and, and PCR and all these different things, you're taking sort of that, that sort of tech and bringing it into like liposuction, you know, because it sounds like all the other ones, it's either like this, like manual thing of cranking something or putting some like reagent in, but then you, you've kind of exposed it to a, a contaminant. So that's, uh, that's, that's, that's point number one. Point number two, though, is a very important concept known as cell assisted lipotransfer. Okay. So back, I don't, I don't remember how long ago, but there's a famous surgeon from Japan named Yoshimura. And what he found was that if you take fat and inject it, anywhere from 20 to 80% of that fat is going to just disappear. But if you take stem cells from that fat and add it to the fat when you inject it, you're going to approach 80% retention of that fat every time. And so that concept was coined cell-assisted lipotransfer. And our platform not only produces the highest quality fat, but it also creates a stem cell therapeutic that is combined with the fat before it's re-injected, such that you're going to get that uh, predicted 80% retention every time, which means fewer surgeries for the patient. Because I talk to surgeons now and they say, you know, I tell patients if they really want that desired body contour effect, I might have to bring them back two, three, four times for repeat procedures. If you can decrease those two, three, four times to one or two times, you're saving the surgeon's money and you're making for increased safety for the patient because they have decreased anesthesia. anesthesia. Interesting. Why, um, why, why would it be decreased anesthesia? Just, oh, just because of the length of the, length of the surgery? Length of surgery, fewer surgeries. How, for like, so let's look at like the Brazilian butt lip or BBL, okay? Um, on average, that, that procedure usually like just rough average conservative is it takes like an hour to do how, how long would you say oh, it does? No. i mean you know I, I i don't personally do bbls but i would say it's it's at least three to four hours um, three to four okay you're, you're harvesting a lot of fat that's going to take probably an hour at least and then you're processing the fat and then you're re-injecting the fat you got to turn the patient over on the table like it's, it's a lot of steps the part that takes the most time i would imagine is the processing of the fat and then injecting the fat correct you know, I, I'm not the expert to be able to to say, I, again, like the, the lipo could take an hour, maybe more. The processing could take an hour. Um, and again, if you have an assistant doing it, they're probably doing it while you're doing more lipo or doing some other kind of tightening procedure. Um, but then they have to flip the patient over. That takes probably 30 minutes. Right, uh, right. And then the injection, depending on how they're re-injecting. I know some surgeons who are doing off-label uh, using their Klein pump, which is the pump used for infiltration of tumescent solution. They're reversing it and using it to reinject the fat. Oh, that's did throw a clot. Well, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's off label. Uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, as safe as the surgeon who's doing it and understands the risks that they're, uh, that they are partaking in. But, um, you know, we're trying to create something that, that is FDA approved for that indication so that there's a lower risk of, of using something off label for the reinjection. Um, 
but uh, you know, we want to be an end-to-end uh, fat processing company. So we are looking at innovating in the liposuction cannula space to decrease the amount of time it takes to do the lipo. We're going to innovate in the processing of fat to decrease the time there, and we're going to innovate in the delivery space. So we're trying uh, to we're trying to be end-to-end um, and and make sure that we are addressing all the pain points for that that plastic surgeon. Right now, you guys are a platform that goes in the middle between the liposuction and harvesting part and then the injection part right now. That's that's like the the, the foundation of the, of the company. Once you're there, then, you know, when you get more an influx of capital, you get more established in the market, you either go up one end to develop like de- better tools for the liposuction and then on the other end for the injection because you know now that you guys are it's essentially going into your platform and then you inject directly from there so you're going to come you're going to have your own hardware for that right 100 yeah and and are you, are you actually, what about are you platform agnostic right now so because like the one thing i would think of is like it's plastic surgeon saying well the liposuction tools that i currently use i love those and i don't want to switch so are they able to just use those tools and plug into your platform or how does that work yeah, any any current setup will work with our platform, but we're going to create uh, additional tools that are optimized for our platform, and in theory, will speed the harvesting part. Uh, which you know, I've just got through doing the NSF ICOR, where we were required to interview a hundred um, stakeholders, and one of the surprising points that came up during my interviews of plastic surgeons was they have a lot of pain when it comes to the actual liposuction because it's just it's it's labor intensive to go back and forth with the cannulas harvesting the fat and different size cannulas are used. So you can harvest fat quicker if you use a five millimeter cannula versus a three millimeter cannula, but the quality of the fat from a five millimeter cannula isn't as good for reinjection. So there's just a lot of variables. You're harvesting like larger, larger yeah. amounts of fat. Oh, interesting. So, so you kind of, it's like either, either you want to have uh, you want to be more like efficient with the harvesting, but then, the quality is not going to be that good or you have to manually like break it down more. Yeah. And so, um, and I don't want to get too in the weeds, but, um, you know, I am considered an international expert in, in fat, fat processing, fat stem cells. And I was at the IFATS meeting in Washington, DC, the international federation of adipose tissue and science. Uh, and you know, a topic that has come to the forefront is this concept of nano versus milli versus macro fat. And a lot of the leading regenerative surgeons and fat grafting surgeons lean towards this milli fat, which is a parcel size of 1.2 to 2.4 millimeters. So this is the highest quality fat for fat grafting. But to get that, it requires slower harvesting techniques um, and more meticulous processing. And so we really want to be at that forefront of optimizing these different nano, milli, and macro uh, to create the best possible fat grafts. But the other thing that I'd be remiss not to mention is we're not just optimizing for plastic surgeons, which is our beachhead market. There's a current movement in the regenerative medicine space, specifically in ortho, pain, and rehab. And so um, one of our biggest competitors is in the ortho market uh, in a phase three clinical trial treating knees uh, for knee osteoarthritis and getting tremendous results. Really? So, using, 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 using stem cells via fat? Correct. How, where are they harvesting it from? Well, technically, they're not uh, injecting stem cells. They're injecting micro-fragmented fat. And so that's to what we're creating is micro-fragmented fat. Um, I, I love I love these uh, little loopholes with the FDA. It's like, well, <laughs> not stem cells, micro-fat. <laughs> yeah, so our device produces also, it produces micro-fragmented fat. Um, we're calling it NESVF. 
uh, and that microfragmented fat can be injected similarly for the treatment of knee pain. Could you hypothetically, so let me, uh, well, let me just be like very, like, you know, open, open about my medical history. So, you know, I, I work out, I do jujitsu. And so like, I, I got a little, like a tiny bit of a shoulder injury. I think I'm fine now, but let's just say that didn't get better. Uh, hypothetically, like, you know, as your platform advances in its, in its product development and everything, could I go to orthopedic surgeon where they essentially use your platform to harvest my harvest some fat and then re-inject it in oh kind of like prp almost 100 percent. so uh-huh. if, if you do a little digging you'll see that at these uh interventional um orthopedic meetings and pain meetings they have they now have sections of their meetings that are dedicated to teaching orthos and pain doctors to do liposuction because fat is about to be the new trend i no, um, i believe it i know it makes sense too because right now i'll tell you like something um you know the orth so kind of like what happened with uh you know so 20 10 20 years ago the people who had like all the power was cardiothoracic surgeons now it's really interventional cardiologists right because they just stole a lot of those procedures and you see this in medicine like these wars between specialties general surgery just got obliterated the last 20 30 years just you know everybody picked all the you know cash producing procedures now with ortho and pain management are kind of like starting to compete because you're starting to have pain physicians do procedures like SI bone uh, fusions, even like in an outpatient setting. And so um, I feel like there's this rush to not only own the patient on the procedure side, but also on the like recovery side. And that's where like, there's, I feel like there's all of a sudden, like regenerative medicine is starting to like, come up more and more like in the ortho and pain world. So that's really interesting to hear. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, it's, it's gonna be we're, we're a ways off in terms of enough evidence to really support it, but the anecdotal evidence is tremendous. And the data that uh, our competitor is putting out, they published multiple publications. It's mostly like pain scale and functional scale ratings, but there's no question. Uh, there was a review paper that came out right after the pandemic because there was you know, a pause on elective surgeries. And so the purpose of the study was to explore whether the use of fat and microfragmented fat and fat stem cells for the treatment of knees could obviate the need for knee replacement. And what they found was, yes, it reduced pain, improved function, and reduced the need for knee replacement for up to two years. Like, we're never going to eliminate the need for knee replacements, but we're going to decrease the demand for knee replacements using fat stem cells. Uh, and there are now CPT codes for the treatment of knee osteoarthritis and shoulder pain, not yet endorsed or adopted by Medicare and Medicaid, but it's on the horizon. What so this is yeah, this is fascinating here. So like in in your company is very interesting in the sense that it's it's kind of like part biotech, part med device company. Would you would you would you agree with that? Yes. Now now the 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 more interesting question is do you do you see that you're do you think you're a biotech company who happens to have a med device or do you think you're a med device company who happens to have a biotech product? That's a good question. Um because, you know, I'm a scientist, I'd probably say I'm a biotech company. Like, we're doing so much science in the labs. A lot of our competitors yeah, are just putting I would out agree. Devices. A lot of our comp- competitors are just putting out devices and saying, this is our device. Uh, yeah, and I think, I mean, because, like, uh, look, like, the, the in, in terms of the lab, like, lab size and science, like, the fact that you guys are, you have, like, use the word chip, and you guys have a very specific process where the fat is rendered without doing it manually. Like, it just goes into your system, and it's, and that's it um is is fascinating i think that's really interesting too just because 
I don't know. I I love the space, but I feel like uh, the industry gets better when tech or biotech or pharma starts to move into it because then you start to see this like collision of ideas and innovations that like you normally wouldn't have seen, you know. So like I mean I don't know. I think like uh, on like if you look at surgical robotics because tech has moved in, you've seen we've seen more uh, robotic systems incorporate things like uh, computer vision and better software and everything as a result of that, you know. So let me let me ask you um, talk just a little bit about the market side. So like for an investor who's listening to this, you know, what makes us a so from a clinician clinical standpoint, as long as everything checks out and you and you go through your regulatory pathway, it makes a lot of sense clinically, right? What's what's your uh, and you know I guess response to investors who are, who might ask like what makes us a good investment product? Right. So, I mean, our go-to-market is aesthetics. And so that's a cash-based market. Uh, we, based on our math, it's a $6.25 billion mar market. And we believe we're building a need to have for plastic surgeons. If you go into 10 different plastic surgeons clinics, you're going to see 10 different tools being used to process fat. This device is going to replace all those tools for every surgeon because of the reproducibility, the time savings, um, and you know the automation that can reduce the, the manpower It'll also allow the surgeons to do more surgeries and therefore generate or generate more revenue. And so just from that go-to-market standpoint of that $6.25 billion aesthetics market that's cash-based, it's de-risked from that standpoint. But secondarily, you know, that that pain ortho rehab market is huge. And I already mentioned that there's uh, CPT codes established for the treatment of knees and shoulders, et cetera. As soon as Medicare and Medicaid start reimbursing for those procedures, the business just prints cash. Uh, so, you know, it's really about. And, and just something I want to, I want to touch on just cause I don't know, because of how I think it's great to get those CPT codes and everything, but I'll tell you, there's something happening. I just, I, maybe this is me anecdotally seeing it, but I feel like there's something happening in American healthcare where more people and not rich people, just regular people are willing to go just pay out of pocket cash for healthcare because like, it's either I don't want to wait for it, I want to go get the healthcare that I want, everything. So they're just more than willing to do it. And 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 there's even some banks and stuff and it, like really interesting financing options for this, you know. So I like the fact that it starts off like from a cash-based system versus you know the problem I think with a lot of med tech or biotech is like it's so reliant on a CPT code and it's just like <laughs> just like it's it's a rough it's a rough journey when it's that case. Yeah, I mean we're still in the early days of this, so. Uh, you know, I've met several surgeons who have people who are very willing to pay cash for these types of procedures, but you know, the, like one can't overstate the benefit of the, we're, we're an aging and an obese society. The, everyone's going to get arthritis, uh, and not everyone can afford, you know, a 2000, $5,000 procedure. Um, and I think it's very important that you know, we're a science-based company and we're generating that science to support the use of the therapeutic generated by our device for indications like pain, for indications like arthritis. Um, but once you've established that, it, it becomes a no-brainer. I've interviewed a lot of pain doctors and orthopedic doctors, and they are consistently using PRP because there's a lot of data on PRP. It's mixed data, but there's data. Uh, and so it's a lot easier in their minds to justify telling a patient, yeah, you pay out of pocket for this because it's not going to be reimbursed. And the reason it's not be reimbursed is because the data is mixed. Um, but they, they have that peace of mind. Uh, so we really got to generate the data 
to a um, convince the the interventionalists that it's it's worthwhile. But ultimately, if we can convince um, society and, and the government that there is true benefit and it's going to reduce morbidity at a much lower cost than the cost of surgery, uh, that's that's when you hit unicorn status. Got it. Yeah, I make that makes a lot of sense. Um, what are you know when you uh, so. If everything goes to plan with your regulatory pathway, when do you foresee yourself being like fully commercial? Yeah, so I think realistically, we'll have our first working devices in Q4 of 24, but probably uh, rolling out commercially Q1 of 25. Got it. And at that point, like, do you, I mean, it might be early to ask, I don't think it's too early to ask this, but like, what's your pricing strategy for these products? Are you going to price them competitively? Are they going to be at a premium where they're like, you know, uh, like, how, how do you look at, like, how are you thinking about pricing for this? Yeah, so we're thinking about several strategies. Um, for the busy plastic surgeon who's doing everything, he's doing mommy makeovers and doing a lot of lipo and a lot of volumization, that surgeon is going to pay an upfront capital cost for the platform of about $50,000. And then they're going to pay anywhere from 400 to $600 per consumable, um, and that consumable is per patient. And that's in line with, uh, you know, a lot of our competitors revolve the vitalities of the world. That's about what they charge for their disposable. Um, for like our pain and orthodox, they don't need all the bells and whistles of a big, large volume transfer machine. And so they might get the device for free and just sign up for, you know, a subscription type uh, a plan where they commit to so many consumables per month. Mm -hmm. But we don't want the price of our platform to be an impediment to adoption. Yeah. So, so it sounds like, I mean, like, and this is where I guess the med device component come in, comes in, which is like your, your goal is to get to, uh, is to place as many as you can so you can get that consumable. So, so like right now, like your goal, at least with the, the plastic surgeons is to hit that $50,000 price point for the capital, capital equipment. Um, but that, that's like a scale, you know, scale that you're willing to like move around just for, Replacing, are you guys going to do like a limited market release with certain sites in the coming year at all? Uh, do you do you already have some of your sites in terms of who's going to like help with you know clinical studies and development? Yeah, so uh, our go-to-market strategy is to have thirty centers of excellence at the time of launch, and we're already a third of the way there. We've already recruited ten surgeons uh, to kind of be those early in different centers centers of excellence. Yeah, so you have 10 surgeons that, like, you don't have, like, two in, in one place and two in another. They're all at 10 different locations? Um, well, I would say that we have 10 total surgeons recruited. Uh, there's a couple that are, are dual practice. Um, so, okay. um, but we want to have at least 30 surgeons actively using our platform. It may not be quite, Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, got it. And so, you, and so you guys already have 10. So that's good. That's that's fantastic. And how, how did you go about finding them? Like, what did you guys find them on LinkedIn, uh, conferences? Uh, where did you guys, you guys yeah, use? Like, yeah, so, you know, like I said, I, I speak a lot on the topic. So I go to a lot of the conferences, and I'm presenting on our science and our platform. And usually people come up to me at the end, just really excited, really interested in what we're developing. Um, right. But, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm, uh, was in the plastic surgery space as a trainee, and I would speak at conferences frequently. I have a huge network of plastic surgeons. Uh, I also happen to run a nonprofit that keeps me very connected to the plastic surgery space. So I'm always at Plastic Surgery the Meeting, which is the largest plastic surgery meeting in, in the world. Uh, and you know, I I'm 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 known uh, for my research and for my work uh, 
in the field. And so it's, it's much easier to have the conversation with plastic surgeons, knowing that I too uh, am a surgeon and um, really understand the pain points. Uh, but really, it's just about taking them through the science and what we're developing and, and the, them acknowledging that, yeah, this, this, this seems like a need to have and they, they want to be early, early to the punch. Nice. It's fantastic. Um, and then, you know, kind of last thing I want to ask before we wrap up, like, uh, right now, uh, what, what round are you, you know, how much, you, how much have you guys raised so far? What are you trying to raise right now? And then what are you going to do with that money? Yeah, so we are raising a $3.5 million round. Um, my goal is to get to $2.5 million by Q1, Q2 of next year. Uh, we've, we've raised about $750,000. Um, Got it. Primarily going after angels. Did you raise any capital previously? Yeah, we raised a, a three hundred and fifty thousand pre-seed round in Q one of this year. Um, Got it. So this would be like a Series A for you that you're going for. Uh, I mean, we're calling it a seed. Oh, um, seed. Okay. Yeah, um, and it's it's on a safe note. Uh, so um, we don't plan to do a priced round until our Series A. <laughs> Got it. God, fantastic. And when when you know, say when you when you do uh, that raise of like two point five mil by uh q1 q2 of this coming year uh, wh uh what uh what's what's most of that money gonna be used for to produce that that first device um that first device is going to cost over a million to build but each successive device is going to cost about 7500 um so primarily it's going to be going to building that device making some key hires and ushering through the fda got it got it when you build when you build a device like that um you know i don't know much on the biotech side but like is it is it more feasible and better to do it overseas like if so like is there a sp specific country or area that it's best to do this in or not really we plan to build our device in north america i don't want to be subject to any kind of you know uh shipping bottlenecks or or international Supply tariff issues that uh quickly spiral out of control given the current geopolitical climate. So yeah. we're working with we're working with Omnica, which is one of California's largest and most respected design and manufacturing firms, and they have incredible relationships with um, component manufacturers uh, up and down the coast. So we plan to keep it um, at least in this hemisphere, uh, if not in this country. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a like wise thing to do, especially considering the geopolitical climate right now. It's just like way way too risky, and I think a lot of people's you know have not forgotten like the issues that we went through from a supply chain standpoint of COVID, you know? Yeah. So, but fantastic. Well, Dr. Banyard, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Where, you know, for those who are interested, um, I want to uh, mention that you, you can learn more at sayenza.com. That's S-A-Y-E-N-Z-A.com. But also you're becoming more active on LinkedIn. And I've been following your updates, so I know they can find you on there as well. Yeah, for sure. We're on all the socials for the most part, except for TikTok. But yeah, um, you can find me on LinkedIn and uh, we're on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all that jazz. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. And for all those listening, thank this is another episode of The State of MedTech. Be sure to subscribe to us. And uh, if you're interested in uh, hearing more uh, about the company, feel free to reach out to me. Follow uh, Dr. Banyard on, uh, on LinkedIn as well. That being said, I hope you have a wonderful evening and uh, be sure to subscribe and give the show five stars as always. We're the number one show uh, in 2023 for a reason. We're going to carry that over into 2024. So we really appreciate uh, that from all our listeners. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next time. 
Thank you for enjoying another epic episode of the State of MedTech. If you're feeling inspired and love this episode, do us a favor, hit that subscribe button and turn notifications on so you never miss an episode. And be sure to give us five stars and write a short review because that helps more people discover this amazing community of ours. If you're a company who has a executive that you'd like to be on the show or perhaps you want to sponsor one of the episodes, shoot us an email at hello at Take care and we'll see you next time.